Hello, my name is Celine Yaffe, and welcome to Talk Law Podcast, a podcast for anyone interested in learning the truth about what having a profession in law is like. Joining me for our first episode is one of the leading civil rights lawyers, Misha Isaac. Misha Isaac is a current partner at Perkins Coy and previously worked as general counsel for Governor of Oregon, Kate Brown. He's worked on litigation for cases that would make same-sex marriage legal in Oregon for transgender people to be treated fairly in prison and so much more. I mean, you've done so much. What haven't you done? To say, I, uh, I, I'm only 38 years old, so I feel like there's a lot that I have yet to do. You've achieved so much in like such a short, at such a young age that it's like crazy. I think we all strive to be you. So first of all, I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on. It is such an honor to have this conversation with you, especially because of all the amazing work you've done. So starting thank off. You. Yeah. So starting off, what made you want to pursue a career in law? Like what started your interest in what you do today? You know, um, that's a good question. And I've reflected on that. Um, and I say this, I don't mean to be flippant or glib or something, but um, uh, I kind of always just knew I was going to be a lawyer. Um, and it was, I don't, I don't ever recall a moment at which I was kind of tossing around the idea, well, what should I do with my career and decided, um, I'm going to pursue law. Um, I think that my parents used to even joke, like when I was in nursery school or kindergarten, because I was kind of a mouthy kid that, um, that I was going to be a lawyer someday. And so, um, so I think that I've always had, had an interest in law. Um, I went to Lincoln High School when I was in high school, and I was a member of the constitutional law team at Lincoln. Um, I wrote my college thesis on a constitutional law-related topic. And so, yeah, just at every juncture, I was kind of always pursued those opportunities. That is so interesting. That's cool that, like, you had, like, experience in high school because, like, I know Lincoln in, in Portland, Oregon has, like, a really good law program, but, like, a lot of schools like in other states don't. So I think, yeah, that is super interesting though. Um, so what made you later want to choose your specific kind of law, like civil rights and justice? Um, so I, I actually wouldn't describe the sort of thrust of my, the main thrust of my practice as civil rights cases. Um, I love um, civil rights and constitutional law um, and uh, enjoy working on those cases a ton. I always have some of those cases going. Um, but, you know, most of what I do right now as a partner at a law firm is that I represent um, businesses in litigation, usually in business to business litigation. So usually when two businesses are suing each other or one business is being sued by another business, you know, those are the folks who usually hire law firms to um, to represent them in litigation. And that's the kind of litigation I do. Uh, you mentioned that for five years I left my firm um, to go be a lawyer in the governor's office. Mm -hmm. And first I was deputy general counsel in the office of Governor Kate Brown for two and a half years. And then I was promoted to be general counsel in the governor's office. And there um, I was not doing business litigation. I was doing public sector law, which involved a lot of um, state constitutional law. I was doing some amount of civil rights work. For instance, uh, you mentioned in your introduction that I worked quite a bit in the governor's office in trying to improve conditions of confinement for transgender inmates. 
mm -hmm. um, at the Oregon Department of Corrections. That was one sort of um, four or five year long project that I worked on. And I worked on other civil rights cases, but usually, not always, but usually in those cases, the state was being sued. And um, I was advising the governor and representing the governor with respect to a civil rights case being brought by a civil rights lawyer against the state um, and deciding, well, what was our pro-civil rights governor's position gonna be with respect to that litigation. Uh, but I also did, you know, all kinds of other law when I was at the state, um, employment law, public records law, had to advise the governor all the time on separation of powers issues, um, any number of issues. Of course, since I left the governor's office, I left on my last day in the governor's office was March 9th of 2020. And um, if you can remember the timeline of um, when the pandemic kind of erupted, it really erupted on kind of March 12th and 13th. So just like two or three days after. Really I looked out on that. <laughs> departed the governor's office. Anyway, that's a little bit of a tangent and we can talk more about that. But um, but obviously um, the governor's current lawyers who um, her general counsel now was my deputy general counsel, Dustin Bueller, when I, when I was in the governor's office have uh, had to give advice in spades and in ways that I never anticipated ever having to give the governor advice on what the governor's constitutional powers are. And that's been super interesting to follow as a, you know, observer from the sidelines. Yeah, well, this has been a pretty revolutionary year with like the Black Lives Matter protests and COVID and like a lot of new things. Um, so actually yes. on that topic, uh, so yeah, you have worked for both Governor Kate Brown and some other like major law firms like Perkins Coy, where you were currently. What has been your experience working in private practice versus working in government? And which one do you prefer? And like, what are the main differences? Um, they are such different experiences. And I can't say that I prefer one or the other, mm -hmm. um, except to say that by the time I was ready to leave the governor's office ever having been there for five years, I was really ready to leave because I was exhausted. So let me explain a little bit about that. Um, it is hard to imagine a job in the law that is as fast paced and interesting and exhilarating as being general counsel to a governor because you spend all day, every day um, kind of helping uh, the governor and the governor's staff and the senior leadership of state agencies and members of the legislature navigate controversies and crises. And it was not uncommon for me um, in my years in the governor's office to have an entire day where I didn't get to sit at my desk all day, that I, um, I would come in in the morning, you know, commute to Salem, arrive at the state capitol, go up to my office, put my bag down on my chair, but I'm off to my first meeting. And then meeting, 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 meeting all day long. Um, and sometimes while I'm in meeting one, my assistant was redoing my schedule for the afternoon because there were new crises that had emerged over the course of the day. Or I'm in a meeting um, you know, with the Speaker of the House dealing with one crisis and I've got the governor on the phone calling me about some other crisis that's uh, erupting. I have to step out of the meeting. So that was the pace. It is exhilarating and fun and interesting, um, but it's exhausting. Uh, and that's the reason why when you kind of look at the um, career trajectory of people, not just the gen governor's general counsel, but generally people who work in a governor's office. I mean, people usually tend to stay a year or two or maybe three. 
Um, and it is unusual that people stay and work in a governor's office uh, for five years as I did. Yeah, it's so fast paced. By the time I left, I was yearning for, I was like longing for a job where I could sit at my desk and work on, you know, very careful and conscientious legal writing, you know, researching a complicated, you know, area of the law and writing a carefully crafted persuasive legal brief to a court about that, you know, to kind of make a legal argument to um, explain and advocate with respect to a complicated area of law. You don't get to do that kind of careful, quiet, conscientious, deep thinking type work in the governor's office. Yeah. And, and that's, that's mainly what I do now um, in, as a private sector lawyer. I mean, that's not all that I do, but my, uh, you know, I, my life is here in, in my home office because of the pandemic. I've worked from home mm-hmm. and I spend a lot of time rather than running from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting as I used to spend a lot of time, uh, you know, thinking and researching and writing that kind of, I mean, for litigation of big business disputes, that's a lot of what, what that kind of work consists of, which mm-hmm. is great. And I love that work. Yeah, that is so interesting, like how like the difference between um, like government law versus like business law, like I, that's like kind of mind blowing. Like A lot of it is the difference between what it is to be a general counsel to a governor, to kind of a senior politician with a lot of responsibility. Yeah. um, Versus being a litigator. So, I mean, there are litigators who work for the state, uh, mainly at the Oregon Department of Justice, Mm -hmm. and their job, even though they're doing kind of public law work, their job is probably a lot more like my current job in the private sector than mm-hmm. my my last job in the public sector. Oh. Well, thank you for educating me on that, because like I'm still thinking that, but that's super interesting. Yeah. Um, so what has been your favorite part of what you do? What has been a rewarding experience or in a usually unrewarding profession? I, people talk about the law, law, people are so down on lawyers and law. Um, I love being a lawyer. I've always loved being a lawyer. I'm one of those weirdos who actually like really enjoyed and loved law school. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, I don't think of being a lawyer um, as, as being an unrewarding profession. Um, So what are some of the things that I love about being a lawyer? Well, um, I love to represent clients and help clients solve problems. And that's, you know, at its core, what pretty much all lawyers do. Um, and so, you know, I have, when I was in the governor's office, my client was, um, you know, either the governor or members of the governor's staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it was very, very common that, you know, there was some kind of problem or crisis um, that had emerged and that I was being brought in to sort of help find a path out of it. Um, and that is really fun, interesting, and gratifying work, especially when you help your client navigate through a crisis and get to the other side. Yeah. And you feel like, okay, we did it. We made it. We're like, and we're better off for having made it through this crisis. And the same is true for being um, a lawyer in the private sector. Um, and, you know, you probably know that most civil cases, like a dispute between two private parties that yeah. usually culminates in a lawsuit, 
right? So most civil cases don't go to trial, mostly they settle. And what the lawyers are engaged in is, you know, some amount of lit litigation in court and then trying to broker a compromise um, to achieve a settlement for the client. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you take the case to trial and you help the client problem solve by litigating the case to trial and winning. And so, uh, you know, hopefully winning. So I, I just had a month long trial, um, uh, you know, where we, we got involved in the case, um, very unusual situation, but we got involved in the case just a couple of months before the trial began. Mm -hmm. um, other lawyers had been litigating the case for uh, two years. Oh, wow. And then for complicated reasons, um, those lawyers uh, couldn't, um, they needed to associate other counsel to handle the trial. So they hired us. And, you know, it was a huge amount of work, but we saw, you know, there's a problem that our client is confronted with. And we got to understand the problem. We got to get our head in it. Um, and then we're engaging in that situation uh, of problem solving for our client by advocating for our client's interests, taking the case to trial, and then in that case, winning the trial, which that's, that's great and extremely gratifying and fun and interesting. In terms, I mean, your question was, what is the most fun or interesting or gratifying part of being a lawyer? So what I've described is sort of like the everyday parts of being a lawyer that I love and think are fun and interesting. There is no question that the high, the highest moments for me of lawyering have been, you know, getting to work on really big, significant um, civil rights cases, like the same-sex marriage case here in Oregon, mm -hmm. um, and just knowing that I've had an opportunity to make a, an impact beyond just um, helping my client, but helping the community at large. And one of the nice things about working in the governor's office is those opportunities just come with greater frequency because much of what the governor does is geared to, you know, helping the community. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Yeah, like, I guess every case is like unique when you hopefully win it. It's like, yay. Um, yeah, no, the reason I'm saying it's like usually unrewarding is because like my mother is always like, don't go into law, Celine, like you're gonna regret it. And I'm like, mm. I mean, it's like, I want to learn more. Like the whole reason why I started this podcast is so I could learn more. So yeah, um, I totally disagree with that thing. I bet where people are like, you're going to regret it. And I do think, you know, you can just look at the statistics about how there's a lot of kind of career dissatisfaction among lawyers. Yeah. And I, I've given some thought, like, why is that? Why is it that people go into law and then they don't like it? And I kind of suspect that at least part of the problem is that there's a lot of people who go into law out of a lack of creativity, right? They're like an English major in college or a history major in college. Mm -hmm. They kind of have a aspiration of themselves as like they see themselves as kind of pursuing a white collar career. Yeah. But they don't really know what they want to do. And they haven't been, you know, forced through, you know, a liberal arts education to to kind of pick a direction. And so they kind of shrug and think, oh, well, I guess I'll go be a lawyer. That's a career that I'm familiar with. Um, and I think that there are people who are ill-suited to be lawyers who wind up going to law school, hating it, then becoming lawyers and hating it because they never should have been lawyers to begin with. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, for better or for worse, um, uh, that being a lawyer is kind of a popular profession for people to pursue. But I think that for people who are kind of thoughtful and planful about their career, 
and they know the law is something that interests them. And um, they are kind of temperamentally um, interested in what lawyers do and um, solving legal problems and helping clients and that kind of thing. I think that the law is a great career for people. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, it's definitely interesting. Like to me, I like started getting interested in it like when I was like eight, like I'd always fight with my classmates. I'm like, I'm wrong. I mean, like, I'm right. You're wrong. Sorry. Like, and yeah. Um, it is really interesting how, like, I mean, most of America is unhappy and it's usually because of their profession. And like a lot of people are forced into law or doctors because their parents like are like, Oh, like you can just like make easy money when that's not really the case. And they don't like think it through. Um, so what has been the most interesting or the fa- your favorite case you've, you've done or a moment in your career you like really think about, like you really appreciate? Well, the, that's an easy question to answer because there's a particular moment in my career that was like the most incredible moment I could imagine having in my career. Um, and that moment was the moment when I um, argued the summary judgment motion in the same-sex marriage case Mm -hmm. here in Oregon. So um, maybe I can just give you a couple of minutes of background of my involvement in that case. Oh, go for it, yeah. Um, So um, uh, there was a period after the US Supreme Court in 2013 decided um, the case United States versus Windsor when there was kind of an avalanche of same-sex marriage litigation across the country. And Oregon during that period, Oregon had been planning on um, and had started the process of putting a measure on the ballot to repeal our state constitutional ban on same-sex marriage. That process had started the year before in 2012. I was part of that process as well, you know, given my uh, work with Basic Rights Oregon. Um, And um, for a variety of reasons, there was a little bit of a course correction um, and or change of plans. Um, And um, a lawsuit was filed uh, here in Oregon to challenge um, the state's constitutional ban on same-sex marriage in federal court. Mm -hmm. And um, then the um, main kind of organizational forces behind the ballot measure effort, which were Basic Rights Oregon and the ACLU of Oregon, Um, they filed their own lawsuit and had it consolidated with the existing lawsuit. And I represented um, those organizations and and worked with those organizations and clients affiliated with those organizations. Um, And we wound up litigating one big consolidated case here in Oregon to challenge our state's uh, ban on same-sex marriage. At the time, I was a relatively junior lawyer. I was basically the most junior lawyer of our, you know, we had this big legal team involving lawyers who associated with the National ACLU and, um, you know, Jennifer Milton, who is a um, terrific uh, civil rights lawyer in Oregon um, and and other, other lawyers on our legal team. And I was kind of the low man um, of the group, um, which meant that I was kind of always tasked with doing the grunt work, doing mm-hmm. the um, research and legal writing and circulating drafts. Um, and over time, um, you know, we would have kind of weekly or sometimes daily um, strategy calls with a legal team. And in the beginning, other people ran those calls and kind of would turn to me and say, okay, well, what about this Misha? Or what's the law on that Misha? Or what should we do here, Misha? And then because I was the one who was kind of doing most of the legwork, 
over time, I started kind of running those group calls. And, um, and in some senses, the other lawyers kind of ceded to me, like, well, Misha's kind of done all the work. So, you know, he's kind of going to sort of run our internal group. Um, and then actually, it's to the great credit of my professional mentor, Tom Johnson, who was the senior lawyer at our firm on the case, who, and I had just assumed when it was come to, when it was, when the time came to just, you know, go into court and make our oral argument, that Tom would be the one to do that. Um, or maybe Jennifer Middleton or other senior lawyers on our team. I can remember, I'll never forget Tom Johnson walking into my office and saying, maybe three weeks before the oral argument was scheduled and saying, hey, Misha, I'm just assuming you're going to argue the summary judgment motion. And I was kind of like, what? And he was like, yeah, you wrote the briefs and nobody could do the argument better than you can. So, so you're going to do it, right? And I was like, well, I would be honored to do it. And Tom said, okay, well, I'll just call everybody else and get them on board. Um, and it's, it's like I owe a ton to Tom for um, kind of clearing the, the way for me to have that opportunity. Mm -hmm. But it was this kind of moment, and I can remember kind of being in this moment, feeling like, is this like really happening? You know, here I was in the kind of August setting of a federal courthouse, federal courtroom, packed with people, right? The jury box is filled with observers. There's like extra seats. There was a second courtroom. We were in the federal courthouse in Eugene. There was a second courtroom in Eugene overflow mm -hmm. courtroom where they were live streaming the argument and that courtroom was also packed and then there was a courtroom up in Portland where mm -hmm. they were live streaming the argument that courtroom was also packed right of people who were like intensely interested in observing the argument um and you know it, I just had this moment where it's like me and the judge and I'm like making a profoundly important eloquent argument um, advocating for the civil rights of um, a persecuted minority group in our society, and also advocating for my own civil rights. Mm -hmm. um, and that was an extraordinary moment. And I, you know, I'm so lucky to have had that moment in my career. I kind of doubt I'll ever have a moment quite like that <laughs> in my career. But yeah, that was uh, an extraordinary moment, an extraordinary opportunity. That is amazing, especially like you've, you have changed the lives of so many people because of like what you've done, like specifically like for that case and so many others, like it's, it's very inspiring. Like, thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you for saying that. It was a great privilege to have the opportunity to work on that case. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, most lawyers who litigate civil rights cases, um, you know, even ones who focus on impact litigation, um, and by that, I mean um, litigation that impacts groups of people as opposed to civil rights cases just on behalf of individuals. Mm -hmm. um, they work on cases that are equally important, but important, or and sometimes more important, but important to a smaller set of people. Yeah. And so um, it really is, um, uh, it was a great opportunity to get to work on that case, but you shouldn't when one thinks about it, you shouldn't diminish the really important work that other civil rights lawyers do on cases that are also so important, but may not affect quite as many people. Oh, of course. Yeah. Has been the worst or your least favorite part of what you do or something you regret? 
I mean, that could be two different questions up, up to you. Um, well, why don't I, I can actually um, address the latter part and, and relate it back to a part of the story that I just told um, in terms of something I regret. So um, I described a moment ago when litigating the same-sex marriage case that um, the original plan that sort of the establishment organizations in Oregon had was to um, uh, to take the marriage ban out of our state constitution through ballot through a ballot measure, mm -hmm. which is how, in order to amend the state constitution in Oregon, you have to do it through a public vote, either by through a um, initiative or a referendum by the legislature. So um, th there were good reasons why the organizations made that decision. Um, First of all, they at the time they made that decision, they thought that a litigation path was a riskier path. And given where the state of public polling and stuff, they um, uh, they thought we had a better chance of winning at the ballot box. Um, and then also they felt like our role in the our role being Oregon's role in the national same-sex marriage movement mm -hmm. was going to be to that we could demonstrate to the country that we would be the first state to change our state constitution and remove from our state constitution a ban on same-sex marriage by vote of the public. That had never happened before. Um, so there were good reasons for the, that decision. Then in June of 2013, the US Supreme Court decided this case, United States versus Windsor. And that was a real wake up moment for advocates um, that, oh my goodness, the Supreme Court is probably ready now to find a constitutional right for same-sex couples to marry across the country in all 50 states. At that point, I think that um, the organizations should have more quickly pivoted and, and pursued, um, seen the wisdom of pursuing a litigation path. And there actually was a period of a few months um, of great acrimony and um, divisiveness in the LGBT community in Oregon over this issue of, should we litigate this question in court or should we have a ballot measure fight over it? And people had very strongly views about that, very strongly held views about that. In particular, there was a group of people who felt very strongly that we shouldn't put people's civil rights up to a vote. Um, and if we can win people's civil rights in court, that's how we should do it. Um, uh, I, I was part of that discussion, and I regret that the, or, it, the organizations that I was working with, and including myself, were kind of latecomers to seeing the wisdom of pivoting strategy and pursuing a litigation approach, and kind of were pulled into that, in some senses, kicking and screaming. I mean, ultimately embraced it, um, and we obviously had a very successful litigation there, but um, but I think that probably um, that decision should have happened more quickly. Um, and, um, and that would have caused less conflict and dissension and acrimony in the community. Mm -hmm. So that's a professional regret that I have. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, those hindsight is 2020 about those kind of things. That your first part of your question was about like um, things I don't like about being a lawyer. Yeah, or like what's the worst part or like your least favorite part of what you do? A lot of um, what civil litigators do is they fight over what's called discovery. Um, and I'm getting a little in the weeds here, but 
what that is, is, you know, when you file a lawsuit, you have a right to conduct an investigation of the other side. Um, and that investigation usually consists of making requests for documents and conducting depositions, um, at which are depositions are basically interviews under oath. Mm-hmm. Um, and much of civil litigation is conducting discovery, um, which is, um, uh, you know, asking for documents. Um, it is responding to requests for documents on behalf of your client, and it is fighting with your opposing counsel over the scope of what you're going to turn over and what you're not going to turn over, what you want them to turn over, and um, and you know that um, is not the most fun part of uh, being a lawyer. Um, those disputes can be quite. Um, acrimonious. Um, And, you know, litigators in the Portland community tend to be quite civil and professional with one another, but not always. And um, I I don't um, enjoy that kind of snippiness um, among lawyers and um, wish that I could spend less time fighting with my opposing counsel over discovery and more time you know, crafting great legal arguments on behalf of my clients and helping my clients solve problems. Yeah. Okay. When I was like younger, I used to watch a ton of shows about like law. Like, have you seen like Suits or How to Kill? Oh, How to Get Away, get away with-, with Murder. Yeah. Um. And it's just that's it's being a lawyer is just like that. It's <laughs> just like that every day. I bet. No, but how do you think the media portrays being a lawyer versus what it actually is like? Like, do you ever feel like you are in a movie or is it mostly like completely wrong? No, the only moment I've ever felt like I was in a movie was that one moment I described earlier about, you know, giving the oral argument in the same-sex marriage case. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, which over the course of a, you know, my career is really an infinitesimally small amount of time that I've spent feeling like I'm actually in a movie. Um, I enjoy lawyer shows too. Um, I watched all of Suits. I think I watched all of Suits. Um, I, I saw the, maybe the first couple of seasons of How to Get Away from Murder and then kind of got a little bit bored by it. But after the fourth season, I was just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Good Wife, I really enjoyed. I mean, but the thing about all these shows, like The Good Wife in particular, you know, like The Good Wife and the other shows, they're kind of case a week shows, right? Where they, yeah. um, on every episode, they kind of talk about, you know, like one case that they're litigating. And somehow in the course of the, you know, one hour long show, uh, they go from the client walking into the office and saying, oh, I need help from a lawyer to like, you know, cross-examining the opposing party in trial and the opposing party breaks down and the jury comes back with a verdict and um, Juliana Margulies is victorious or whatever. And, uh, you know, that's, being a lawyer is nothing like that in the sense that, you know, in the cases that I handle, you know, most of those cases go on for years. Um, They don't last an hour um, or even uh, a week or a month. Um, in fact, this case I just had um, a couple of months ago, I mentioned where we, we took it to a month long trial. I mean, it was a very rare experience that we were hired two months before the trial began. We spent, you know, about six weeks really rigorously preparing for the trial. And then we spent a month in trial 
and then basically the case was over. I mean, so that whole enterprise from soup to nuts was about three months. That's extremely rare in my practice. Law is quite slow moving. So the reason I ask is because like, um, I feel like our law, a lot of people who don't have the privilege to have like a, um, like in high school and middle school, a way to learn more about law as they watch shows, which are usually extremely inaccurate. Yes. Um, so, so I think Although sometimes the legal questions that are presented are actual questions, yeah. you know, but <laughs> that's just kind of like a microcosm of like a larger, you know, okay, I'm litigating this case for three years. Yeah, that, that uh, show turned on a legal question about like whether evidence should be suppressed in a criminal case or whatever. And that, that mm -hmm. could be a, a legal question that you would actually see litigated in court. Yeah. Um, okay, so I have one last question. Um, what advice would you give anyone wanting to pursue your career path? To pursue my career path? In general, like, uh, do what you do, like be a lawyer or uh, litigate a litigator. Um, gosh, I have so much advice, but I think that um, the advice that comes to mind is that um, working hard pays real dividends mm -hmm. and that people should be um, ambitious about their own work. And I don't use the word ambitious in the sense of like people should be ambitious to get a promotion or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, uh, like producing a legal brief that is a really high quality product requires ambition that like, I'm gonna keep working on this until it's done. And until I know that it is a really strong work product and I'm not just gonna, um, uh, I'm not just gonna get it to, uh, you know, be minus good enough and shoot it off to the court, right? Um, that you should take pride in your work. You should do really strong and really excellent work because that's people will judge you by your work. And by that, I mean, um, your supervisors, more senior lawyers judge you by your work. Courts um, will receive your work and judge you by your work. Your opposing counsel um, will judge you by your work and your clients. And, you know, oftentimes your clients don't, aren't um, sophisticated enough or knowledgeable enough about the law to know the difference between a B minus brief and an A plus brief, but they'll judge you by the quality of your work based on whether you won the motion for them or won the case for them. And that'll turn on the, the, the caliber and quality of your work. And so, yeah, I really am a believer that, you know, you should give, if you're going to take on an assignment, you should try to really give it 110%. Um, and, um, and not just phone it in, um, and that that's the way to really have success and, and feel gratified about having done a job well done. Yeah, no, that is very true. Your favorite singer and who is your, or band? Oh gosh. So, um, I have a friend whose name is Kristen Granger. She is a folk singer. And I love her to death. And she, uh, her band is called, I think they have, they just recently changed their name to be Christian Granger and the True North Band. And for anybody listening to this, I highly recommend that you Google them and download their music because they are wonderful. And I like to listen to Christian, Kristen in the car um, when I'm driving, both because I love her music and that she's so talented, but also because it's very calming. 
um, and like, especially when I'm in traffic, I'm like, oh, let's put on some Kristen. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you definitely need calm after like dealing with like a whole day's worth of chaos. Yeah, especially when I was commuting from Salem um, and, you know, I was, sometimes would feel like completely fried from having spent an entire day going from crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis. <laughs> and then, you know, you get in the car and you get stuck in traffic in like Wilsonville. It's like, okay, play some Kristen Granger in True North. Wait, actually, question. So do you currently live in Portland or do you live in Salem? I live in Portland. Yeah. So you had to commute from Portland to Salem every day? Yeah, and actually a lot of people who work in Salem do that commute. Um, Crazy. Oh. Did I say a lot of people who work in Salem, did I get that right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Live in Portland and do that commute. Um, and it is, uh, you know, was not my favorite part of working in Salem, but a lot of people do that commute because it's, you know, if that's what you need to do to get to do the really interesting and important impactful work of, um, you know, working for the governor or working for the legislature or state agency, a lot of people feel like it's worth it. Yeah, no, that's so interesting. Sorry, I was just thinking yeah. about that. Um, what is your favorite movie? Or movie? Um, my favorite movie, I always used to say that the answer to this question was Usual Suspects. So I, I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but I do really like that movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's an excellent movie. Well acted. I'm a little bit reluctant to say that now because Kevin Spacey's kind of canceled for good reasons. But, um, anyway, uh, that's my final answer. I'll stick to usual suspects. Okay. No, that is a wonderful movie. I love it. And, um, last one, what is your favorite TV show? And it doesn't have to be lot related. Um, just like in general. Oh, uh, my favorite TV show. Um, uh, my husband and I did get really into Downton Abbey. I don't know that I would say that's my favorite TV show. Um, uh, oh, no, I, probably my favorite TV show is Schitt's Creek. Uh, I really, I watched um, all of the whole run of Schitt's Creek and then I just rewatched the whole run of Schitt's Creek and mm -hmm. it's, it's quite a good show. The Office is also really good. Like when I just want to turn my brain off, mm -hmm. I'll watch an episode of The Office of Parks and Recreation, but I'll stick with Schitt's Creek. Yeah, oh, I love Schitt's Creek. <laughs> As a gay man, I don't think I had ever seen before a completely normalized depiction of um, a same-sex couple falling in love and being in love. Mm -hmm. And that might, might sound surprising or extraordinary because, you know, especially today, there are depictions of um, gay people all over TV and movies and popular culture, but... Um, never, um, you know, oftentimes if there is a storyline about gay characters, the storyline is about them being the subject of homophobia, about being discriminated against, um, about coming out. And those stories are really important to tell. But I don't think I had ever seen before Schitt's Creek just a storyline about gay characters and gay male characters just being in love and that being totally just routine and normal and lovely and wonderful. Um, and that was just so, um, so great to get to watch so much so that, you know, I've watched the whole run of the show twice over. No, I definitely agree with that because growing up in like a very heteronormative world, right? Like I wouldn't see any gay representation. Like I think the first time I saw any gay representation when I, or LGBTQ for that matter, was when I was like eight. And have you seen Birdcage? The Birdcage? Yes, sure. Um, Great movie. 
that was like the first movie I ever saw. And like, I couldn't comprehend it because I had never understood it before. And I, and I watched it with my parents. And even then it was very centered around them being like super flamboyant and not just showing like a normal depiction of just like a gay person or an LGBTQ person. Yeah, seeing that Shit's Creek depiction, you're right. It is very eye-opening, yeah. Um, and then do you have any song that you have on repeat right now? Like any songs or... Well, I do. I I do enjoy the like I said, Kristen Granger and True North. They're kind of award-winning song is a song called "Be Here Now," <laughs> which is an excellent song. And sometimes I will play it in the car, and then I'll just replay it again and again and again, so that I can like a really loud volume and sing along with it. You're really selling. Also, yeah. I really like the Dixie Chicks. Not ready to make nice, especially if I'm in like a pissed off mood at somebody um I will just turn that way up and like I shout along with the music to that one I really like that one (laughs) funny way to like end an interview (laughs) pleasure to have uh been here and an honor to um have been interviewed by you thank you yeah thank you Wow, that was a super interesting interview with Misha Isaac. I want to give him a big thank you for being here for our first episode. And um, if anybody would like to do a future episode, we have a couple more lawyers lined up. Um, But if anybody would like to reach out, we're going to have a website soon. Our Instagram is at TalkLawPodcast. T-A-L-K-L-A-W-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Um, Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed.